Welcome back to Toxic, the Mess at Smurfit Stone. In our previous episode, we heard from Andrew Gorder and Karen Boyd in part one of our press briefing breakdown. In this episode, part two, we answer the question, is it leaking? Are the toxic materials and metals actually making their way into the Clark Fork River? Sam, what can we expect to hear in this episode? So in this episode, Elena Evans from the Missoula Valley Water Quality District talks a lot about the connection between the site, uh, groundwater, and the river, and shows you know how, how connected they are, how the contaminants are moving, and then talks about a, an upcoming study where they're going to do some more sampling. The county is going to do some more sampling. So the county has taken on that job, and Elena is going to talk about you know, what they know so far and what they are looking for in a study that's coming up this fall. Very cool. It's a fascinating deep dive. So I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this one. Um, and as a reminder, again, these slides are going to be attached to the show notes. So if you're listening and wishing that you could see the slides that Elena is presenting on, uh, just check the show notes. And everyone enjoy this episode. The next question I want to ask is for Elena. Elena Evans is a hydrogeologist and manages the Missoula Valley Water Quality District. In addition to degrees in geology from McAllister College and the University of Montana, she has worked for the US Forest Service, the National Park Service, and the Montana Department of Environmental Quality. Elena, is contamination from Smurfit Stone leaking into the river or the groundwater? That's a great question, Sam. I'm glad that I'm able to be here and hopefully be sharing my screen to discuss that with you today. Um, it's a great question because Smurfit Stone and the mill site was picked specifically to discharge wastewater to the Clark Fork River. And when that fish kill occurred and that wasn't something that could happen year round, that's when there were wastewater ponds that were dug specifically to infiltrate groundwater into the aquifer and then have it eventually come out into the Clark Fork River. And so it's not a question of if it's leaking, it's more of a question of if we have enough data to say that it's not leaking contaminants. So what we see here is a picture from 1937 versus 2005 with the different colors mapping the different parts of the wastewater treatment system, as well as the sludge ponds, the dumps, the infiltration ponds and everything like that. And the big takeaway I want you to get from this slide is that the site was highly altered in order to accommodate the wastewater and infiltrate it into the aquifer. And so we're gonna talk about that today. So if you look at the 2005 on the right, you'll see all these different colors. And that's just important because like Andrew said, there was a, a lot of different kinds of waste. There was, yeah, sludge, lime grits, Rager wire, asbestos. And you can see that in here and you can see that it's not homogenous. It's, it's highly variable. You can see a barrel here next to wood, next to just basic waste. And so you also see that that's sitting in water. Different portions of this are in water. And so how does that connect to groundwater? And so to really understand that, we have to think about how water was processed at the time that the mill was running. And so this is a complicated slide, but I'll walk you through it. And so like Andrew said, in this 
red area, 15 million gallons per day of water were removed from the aquifer. That's a lot of water that had an impact. And it was moved after it went through the mill and, and turned wood into liner board and put on the landscape on these wastewater treatment plants here. And so the big thing is when Smurf at Stone, when, when the mill studied what that was doing to groundwater direction and groundwater flow rates, this is a figure that came out of one of those studies and the arrows are larger if they had greater rates of travel and then they point in the direction. And so basically what this is showing you is that groundwater and the potential contaminants that it carried with it were going in all directions. And so when the mill stopped production in 2010, that's that line right here, this is a graph of the elevation of water, so depth to water, with this being 22 feet down to water and variable across seasons. When it stopped, groundwater in the area bumped up considerably. You can see that. Even all, all folks can see that dramatic change in groundwater elevations. And so what did that do? to the contaminants that had traveled through groundwater, particularly dioxins and furans that do travel in water but are more hydrophobic. They don't like water as much, you know, because when the monitoring started under the guidance of the EPA, that time period is shown in this blue dotted line here. So that's considerably different than when the, when the mill was in operation, when the site was actually moving water around to a, to a large extent. And this is a map of the site with the monitoring wells that were installed under the administrative order of consent. And this is important because this is a large area and this is the most recent change to groundwater monitoring. So these are all the wells on, on, the, like, on the bottom, the Southern half of the site. And what you see here is there are proposed changes. And so a couple of years ago, the amount of groundwater monitoring was reduced almost by half as far as how many samples were collected to determine if there were contaminants of potential concern in there. And so that's, that's kind of concerning given all of the variability that we saw in those dumps. And just to kind of try to put this in better scale, I drew this red line here around solid waste basin A. It's a dump, it's unlined, but here it is for scale over Grizz Stadium. So that's, that's a pretty big area. And this blue uh, dot here is the, is the closest monitoring well. And you don't see anything else around there. So what, what the current study is relying upon is that one point to capture any contaminants coming out of here. And granted there are you know, some further down gradient, but like we discussed earlier, those gradients have changed since the mill was in operation. And so what the Missoula County and uh, other letters within this process have, have requested is more adequate sampling. Right now, we would characterize the sampling of groundwater at the site as in, inadequate. We all live in Montana, we know there's four seasons. And so generally you wanna sample in all of those seasons because that impacts groundwater and that hasn't happened to date at the site. And then like I was discussing that last change to the monitoring plan essentially cut 
a lot of the well monitoring that had been occurring. And so it was inadequate prior, and then it's even reduced further at this point in time. And this sampling also does not account for that large movement of water at the historic cone of depression where tons of water was being pulled out of the aquifer and pushed over into the wastewater treatment plants elsewhere. And this is particularly important because the Missoula Aquifer is an EPA designated sole source aquifer. So most people get their drinking water from the aquifer. And the other component of that sole source aquifer is if something bad were to happen to the aquifer, if it were to be contaminated, there's no other viable source of water to, to support the population. So even with that, there are indications within the sampling that's occurred that there are higher levels of arsenic and manganese. And here is a site document that shows those, you know, milligrams per liter concentration of contaminants and compares them to US glacial aquifers. Luckily, the Missoula Water Quality District has a suite of 40 wells that we've been monitoring since the 1990s. And so we can compare this information directly to the data that is within the same aquifer, within the same geology, everything like that. And what we find there is just comparing averages even, not maximums, we see that the mean value of arsenic on the site is seven times as high as the mean level of arsenic that we find in the water quality district wells. And that's even more pronounced with manganese, where we have 17 times as high the level of manganese on site as we do within the water quality district wells. So we're kind of missing some of the picture in groundwater. And, and right now, there isn't anybody on site necessarily drinking that water. But as we all know, groundwater and surface water are connected. And so the thing here is, this is an image of the potentiometric map, so the elevation of groundwater within the Missoula Valley. And the big thing I want you to take away here is that the Missoula Valley is in yellow. And, and the big picture here is water comes in on the Clark Fork through Hellgate Canyon. It pushes all of this water down into the aquifer, recharges the aquifer a, a ton. And then that water moves through our, our valley and the Bitterroot joins, and you can see where it goes, but then the valley constricts as it, we move downstream. And so that water comes back up. And that means that there's a lot of interaction. And so maybe if we're not fully capturing the story of what's going on with groundwater on the site, maybe we can capture it on the river where that groundwater is coming into the Clark Fork River and impacting folks downstream as well as our ecosystem. So this is a picture from the consultant for the potentially responsible parties of where they did sampling. And so it's, you know, it's not a lot of grab samples for a very large reach of river. And so I zoomed in here on where samples were collected adjacent to the Smurfit Stone site to kind of help you just see how limited that is. And so back in 2019, the Water Quality District was concerned about this and thought maybe we could use some of the basic tenets of how hydrology in the Missoula Valley works to aid EPA and the consultants in pinpointing where more samples could be taken. So we conducted a few studies. The first one was in partnership with Selixa, which is an exciting company that has an office in town, and they use 
distributed temperature sensors. And so it's a pretty fun physics experiment where you use a fiber optic cable. So it's about the size of your pinky. And we put it along all of the Smurfit Stone site. It's hard to take pictures of. So you'll see on the bottom left here is a picture of it in the river. And then you run a laser, you run um, light along that fiber optic cable and there's natural scatter, but the measured backscatter of that light and the time that it takes to get there can tell you some things about the temperature of the water. And so this is where, even though it's hard to see groundwater, you can see the connection between where groundwater is coming into the river. Everyone who's floating the rivers right now or recreating out there can, can identify some of those cold spots where you can feel colder water coming in. That's groundwater. And this is just a more scientific way of evaluating where that is, because this was in for a while. And then what we did, this is a graph of the average temperature on the left, the distance of the distributed temperature sensing fiber optic cable, and then you have the standard deviation and the average temperature. So very fun stuff, and I'm happy to talk about it more with other folks, but what, what we did is we used this data and we made this map on the left here to identify areas where we know there is groundwater in this very specific location moving from the site where we're concerned about contaminants into the Clark Fork River. So we passed this information on to the EPA and the potentially responsible parties to encourage them to sample those locations, not only to, to actually get a better number of samples, but to kind of target those samples for where we could have concerns either allayed or, or better understand if contaminants are entering. At the same time, we also used and partnered with University of Montana Gardner Lab uh, to look at full scale river groundwater dynamics using the uranium decay series. So looking for radon isotopes, because once water goes underground, it can capture some of the radon isotopes that are part of this decay series. And after two weeks, it's full up on radon. And so when you see that radon signature, you know it's groundwater. But when it enters the Clark Fork River, it, it moves around and turbulence releases those radon molecules. And so you can kind of use that as a signature for how much groundwater is coming in and where. But this, unlike the fiber optic study, this is more at a full river reach. So it's the full river, both sides, and it's more of a mixing, but it still provides a better idea of where we might be able to fingerprint or identify what contaminants may be leaking into the site. So this is the findings from that UM study. And so to answer Sam's question, yes, groundwater from the site is entering the Clark Fork. We've identified areas where it is with radon, we've identified areas where it is with distributed temperature sensing, and we remain concerned that the grab samples that were collected in order to assess the contributions of contaminants from the site into the Clark Fork are, are too limited to fully understand that. And so from there, there's two options moving forward uh, to, to really you know, address whether or not it's leaking and convey to the community um, whether they should be concerned or not. And one is to do more sampling, but the other is, is like Andrew said, and that is to just ensure that the dumps and landfills are removed, that the berm is removed, 
and that the floodplain is reconnected. And, and there are processes that the EPA goes through in order to do this, but we as a community value our rivers and our groundwater and our EPA sole source aquifer. And so we, we do have a path forward and it's something that we've seen as quite the success. So I was able to float this weekend through the old Milltown Dam Reservoir with my kids. And even though that was also a super fun site, uh, it has now been returned to the community as an amenity. And that's something that I think we all hope for in the context of Smurfit Stone. So that's groundwater, which I love talking about. And I'm happy to talk further with questions or, or later on. Thank you, Elena. Thank you for listening to another episode of Toxic, the mess at Smurfit Stone. If you'd like to get involved holding the potentially responsible parties, well, responsible, reach out to us here at info at clarkfork.org. You can also visit the Clark Fork Coalition website at clarkfork.org. This has been a podcast from the Clark Fork Coalition produced by Pintler Group Digital Marketing right here in Missoula, Montana. Thanks again for listening.